This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, so let's talk about um, this week's parsha. I'm trying to give a share sitting down. We'll see how it works. This is how I give the boy share. And um, if you don't like it and I don't like it, then we'll continue Mitzvah Hashem the old way, jumping around and standing up. Um, really, next, really, I should be up on stage so that you could all see me. Um, but they set it up down here, so we're not going to make a commotion. All right, this week's Pasha. This week's Pasha is Pasha Shmini. It talks about the, the eighth day, which was Shmini Lamaluim. Lamaluim means that um, there was a grand opening, like Lahavdal a million times in baseball. So you have opening day, right, in baseball. Before that, um, it's practice. It's not, doesn't really count. So there was seven, when they, when they put the Mishkan together, so for seven days, Moshe Rabbeinu did the Avodah in the, in the um, Mishkan, but on the eighth day was the time, to, was grand opening, was the, was the uh, opening day, and therefore Aaron HaKohen, being that the Kahanim are the ones who do the Avodah, not Moshe Rabbeinu, it was the day that Aaron HaKohen and his children were starting to do the Avodah. Probably the biggest day ever for the Kahanim, because what do the Kahanim do? We do Avodah in the Mishkan. So this was our opening day, it was the greatest day for Aaron HaKohen. Now, Aaron HaKohen had four sons. Nadav Avihu were his two oldest ones. Elazar and Isamar were the next. In fact, Itamar in Israel, with that terrible tragedy, was probably named after Isamar, Itamar, the way the Israelis... Right, okay. So here, Miriam, who always has all the information we need, is the reason it's called Itamar is because Elazar and Itamar, what, I'm making noise? I'm sorry. That's my ADHD. Um, that Elazar and, and Isamar are buried next to Itamar, and that's why it's called. So anyway, so I don't know what's making that noise. It's not me. Anyway, I'm relaxing. My leg's not shaking. Okay, hold on. Technical, let's have some uh, little uh, technicians here. Hold on. They want to make sure that I stand next week. Okay. Okay. All right. We're good. Everything's fine. Nothing's shaking. The earth is good. Okay. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Anyway, so it's a serious year. We can't start off making jokes. So Nadav and Avihu were the two oldest sons of Aaron Akohen, and it says that they were actually greater. Than Moshe and Aaron. That's how great they were. And on opening day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that he is going to send a fire from Shemayim. Now, there was another thing you need to know. There were two Mizbeachs, two altars. One was outside, which was called the Mizbeach HaChitzon, outside the Mishkan. It's called the Mizbeach HaChitzon, Mizbeach Adamo, Mizbeach HaOlo, Mizbeach Nechosh, it's the off. And um, it had four different names. And that was the outside Mizbeach. On the inside, there was a little Mizbeach. It was called Mizbeach Hazal, Mizbeach Haktores, Mizbeach Apnimius. And those are the two Mizbechim. So, the Torah tells us what happened. The fire came out of Shemayim. A fire came out of Shemayim, grand opening, and it burnt the animal that was on the Mizbeach Achitz, on the Mizbeach outside. But the Mizbeach inside, which was the Mizbeach of incest, right, the 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 Ketiris was inside, so that did not have a fire on it. Nadav Avihu made a big mistake. They took the law into their own hands, and in the name of God, to make a Kiddush Hashem, they went in and took the took fire from the Mizbeach outside and lit a fire on the Mizbeach inside. Now that made it look like that God needed them to light the inside Mizbeach, and that he couldn't do it himself. So it was a Chilil Hashem, instead of a Kiddush Hashem, which is what they really thought they were going to do. So the punishment was, they brought a fire that they were not asked to bring, and what happened? A fire came out from Hashem, it ate them, and they died. What happened, says Rashi, that the fire actually burnt their insides. So even though they looked whole on the outside, on the inside, they were totally burnt, and they died in front of their own father, and in front of the whole Klyasrol. Instead of a fire coming onto Mizbeach, the fire killed Nadav Ve'avihu. 
said Moshe Rabbeinu to his brother, you know, that what happened over here, that they died in front of Kleisrol, is, I guess, a, the way he said it is, Mikrovai Ekadesh. I have no idea. Somebody's phone? Oh, okay. Hold on. What's going on? And when I stand, I don't have these problems. <laughs> Hold on. It's not a phone. That's my phone. What are you telling them? What's going on? All right, we're good? I don't really need the mic. What? Okay. Anyway, so I like it like this anyway. It's much better. So, so they died in front of their father on opening day for the Kahanim. It was the biggest day. His oldest children, Nadav and Aviyu, died in front of him, in front of the whole Klai Yisrael. The biggest tragedy that could happen to a father to lose his two sons who were Kahanim in front of the whole Klai Yisrael. So, how did Aaron Cohen react? What did he say? So the Torah says, he said, Nothing. Vayidaim Aaron. Aaron remained silent. Now, it doesn't mean he remained silent that he just didn't have anything to say. It meant that he had something to say, but he specifically and on purpose did not say it. So it's like a verb. It's like if someone said something to you and you wanted to answer back, and you specifically did not answer back. So Vayidaim Aaron. On the worst situation that ever happened, he didn't say, Why Hashem? I can't believe you did this to me on, on my opening day. He didn't say anything. So what's the reward for being quiet? So we see that right after that, the parasha, the next parasha begins, Vayidaber Hashem el Aaron Lamar. Hashem said to Aaron speaking, Yayin Vesecha, you're not allowed to drink wine. That's what Hashem told him. Now, the rabbis have a four-way argument why another man of you died. One rabbi says that they drank wine before they came into the Beis HaMikdash because they felt that the wine would loosen them up and the wine would help them be happy, right? That's what wine makes you, so that it would add to the regular happiness of being the Kahanim. It would add to that and give them extra happiness. But God didn't tell them they could do that. And therefore, they got punished. You think you have to drink wine in order to reach a high level in spirituality when you're in my Mishkan? So the rabbis say that's why they died. That's one rabbi. The Torah actually says because they brought an Eshazara, they brought a fire that they weren't allowed to bring. Other rabbis say that they said they don't want to have children. So another Vavi who never got married because they said if they're going to get married, they're going to have to clean the house and they're going to have to cook and they're not going to be able to learn and they're, and, 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 and they're going to be tame sometimes. So they felt that if they're alone by themselves and they could sit and learn 24 hours a week, uh, seven days a week, that they would hit a higher level. But the Torah says a man has to get married. But they made their own cheshman. And this is what tonight's show is all about. Rationalization. They rationalized, no. We are going to be bigger than Moshe and Aaron. Aaron's married. Moshe was married. But we're not going to get married. Hashem said if you're not married, a person, if you're not going to get married, you're not going to have children, then you don't need to be here anymore. And they died. So that's another reason that's given. And another reason that's given, a very famous reason, is that they passed in the halacha in front of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, and they, a, a, a Talmud, a student or a child, is not allowed to pass in halacha in front of someone who's older, a Rebbe, or someone that's older than him, and therefore they were Chayim Misa. But the Torah tells us that the reason they were Chayim Misa was they brought an H. Zara, they brought a fire that was a strange fire. It wasn't requested. It wasn't asked for, and therefore that was the reason that they were punished. So if we look at this, we see that the reason they were punished is they rationalized that they're going to do something that Hashem didn't say to do, but with that, they're going to honor God. And that's my share tonight. Because everybody in this room, specifically me, when we do something wrong, we rationalize it. And we make it right. And not only that, Sometimes we make it into a mitzvah. The biggest avera, we turn into the biggest mitzvah. Oh, someone asked me about this girl, you know, information. Oh, I had to save her, her and her family because if God forbid, if it would happen, they would find out, you know, there'd be a shidduch and it would work out and the guy, so I have to tell this guy's family what the other, what, what the girl's family's like and you bashmir and how many times this has happened and you say all kinds of bad things in the name of God to save the other family. I have to save the other family. 
Meanwhile, I just had this with a girl where she ruined the shidduch of another girl. She gave a terrible report and, I, and she told me, Walson, what do you want me to do? I, I know them. They're our friends. I had to tell them how, you know, what, what they were getting into. I said, really? That's all you did it for? L'shem Shemayim. 100%. Why else would I do it? I said, when was the last time you had a date? She said, three months. I said, that's why you did it. She was like, what? I said, that's right. You didn't do it because you wanted to do the right thing for the family. You did it because you were jealous that this girl had a date. Now, this girl totally was not ready for that and was totally looking at me like I said something totally off the wall. And half of you would say, well, I was that's it. How can you make such a judgment? How can you say such a thing? I'll tell you how I know. I said, before you went and destroyed this shidduch, how come you didn't call me and ask me a shiloh? Is it Lashon Hara? Am I allowed to do this? I said, did you ask any rabbi, a shiloh, what and how you should answer the question? No. I said, so that means you didn't really care about the other person because if you really cared you would have asked a question can I say this do I have to say enough or if I just say listen you don't really want me to answer that's that's sort of saying you didn't have to say I said since you didn't ask anybody if you're allowed to do it there was an ulterior motive now it may be subconscious and it may be not that you said I want to hurt this girl because I didn't get a date but I'm telling you I'm telling you that if you were married in the same situation you would have asked a question. Tough, I'm tough. That's a tough answer, but it's the truth. The road to Gehenna is paved in good intentions. And that's what happened here with Nadav Yavihu. Shem didn't ask them, Shem didn't ask them to light a fire in the Mizbeach Apnimi. That was something that they decided to do on their own. Shem never asked them to do it. And I'm not saying they had an ulterior motive, I, you know, but, but you can't, you can't make these decisions and these rationalizations. And I'll, I'll bring you a few proofs from the Torah. Question number one. Amalek. A few weeks ago, we read Pasha Zohar. Timcha, Zecher, Amalek. You should wipe out Amalek. Kids right on their shoes, right? All the women come to shul. Wiping out Amalek, you gotta go to shul. Right? Everybody goes to shul to hear Pasha's Zohar. Why do we have to wipe out Amalek? Oh, they were the first ones when the Jews left Mitzray and they started up with us. Okay, so be makar of them. You know, send them to Or Sameach, Eshat Torah, Nevei, for the women. You know, get your care of guys out there. Go to Amalek, bring them to a class, an Amaleki class, and talk to them serious. And talk to them about God and try to be makar of them. No. You're not even allowed to try to be makar of them. You have to wipe them out to the last person. Wipe out their memory from the world. Hashem, come on. Come on. I, I, I could change one or two of them. Why don't I have to kill them all? What's the spiritual DNA of a Amalek? Spiritual DNA of a Amalek is the following. Who was Amalek's father? Anyone here know? Anyone know? Not a so That was a grandfather. Eliphaz. Miriam, you got to let some people out. Yeah. We know that you know everything. But seriously, with Eliphaz. Now, Eliphaz was Yaakov Avinu, with his uncle, was his Rebbe. He used to teach Eliphaz, Torah. Now, Eliphaz, when Yaakov ran away from Esau, from his parents, to go to Lavan, Eliphaz followed him, caught up with him, says the Medrash, took out his sword, and said, Uncle Yaakov, I'm going to chop your head off. And, and Yaakov you know, said, what, I, I was a bad Rebbe? He said, no, I have a mitzvah to do. He said, you have a mitzvah to do? He said, yes, my father, Esav, told me to kill you. Kivud of va'im. So Yaakov Avinu said to Eliphaz, but don't you remember the Gemara we learned? A person who has no money is considered like he's dead. So instead of chopping my head off, take away my money. If you take away my money, I'm considered like dead. If I'm considered like dead, you can go back and tell your father you killed me. 
Alifaz liked that answer. So the Medrash says that Alifaz took every article of clove that Yaakov had down to his socks. So that he left Yaakov, this is what it says, in a river of water without a stitch of clove on. And the Medrash says an amazing story. A rich man came and he got bitten by a snake and he died and the clothing was left on the side and that's the clothing that Yaakov got. And it's a whole, it's a beautiful, it's a different kind of measure. But, but the bottom line is that Eliphaz went home happy. I just took everything away from my uncle, but I'm doing kivit of la'am. So he rationalized that he wasn't doing a bad thing, but he was actually doing a good thing. Said Hashem, a person who rationalizes his evil and says he's doing a good thing, you cannot change him because he thinks he's doing good. He'll never do tshuva. So this is a nation that the basic DNA is they, they do very bad things in the name of God. Hashem said, that has to be taken out of my world. Those people will never do tshuva. Okay? Noach. Noach built the teva. Took him 120 years. So people can do tshuva. All of a sudden, Hashem decided, that's it. No more time, I'm destroying the world. Says Rashi. What did they do wrong? What happened all of a sudden? You know what Rashi says? Because they stole one grape. That's why Hashem destroyed the world. One for the Israelis, right? You eat garinim, you know the garinim on Shabbat. They stole one, I don't know how you say it, singular, garan, garin, garin. They stole one garin. Right? Hold on here. They did all three big averis. They murdered, committed adultery, right? Men married men, so the Medrash, women married women. They did the most immoral things in the world. They, they served Avoid Zara. Hashem said, nah, maybe we'll do tshuva. Oh, you stole the grape? Nah, we got to destroy the world. Well, what's going on here? What's Rashi saying over here? It makes no sense. The answer is that when they did Avoid Zara, they, they knew they did something wrong. I don't know if someone's calling this line. Avivita, did we lose Kalalashan? We might have lost Kalalashan, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, why Hashem destroy the world? Because of a grape or a, a garin, right? And the answer is, because what did they do? They were wise guys. Let me tell you what they did. They got a 50 guys would come into a store. The law is, the halacha is, the halacha is that if you steal something that's worth less than a penny, it's not considered stealing. You don't have to pay it back. If you go into a store and you steal one, one poppy seed, right, you don't have to pay it back. So what did they do? They went 40 guys into a store, and each guy took one grape. So they took the whole cluster of grapes, but only one grape at a time. So nobody, not one person was chayev. Each one took one gara and 100 guys. They took, they took a whole sack, but each one took one. So they were wise guys. They were able to steal without stealing. So when they walked away, they said, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't steal more than a penny. So Hashem said, we're done. We're done. When they did all the other sins... When they did all the other sins, they knew they were doing something wrong. Here, they didn't feel they were doing anything wrong. That You can't fix these people. Because they're walking around rationalizing, justifying that whatever they're doing is correct. So Hashem destroyed the world. Sidaim. When Hashem said, I want to destroy Sidaim, Avraham Avinu said, how many good people are in Sidaim? Why didn't Avraham Avinu say, Hashem, don't destroy Sidaim? I am the greatest in Kirov. I changed all the people in Haran. I made them all religious Jews. Let me go to Sodom. I'll change all of them. He didn't even ask to change them. He said, how many good, how many good people are there? Why don't Avram say, let's give him a chance. Let me go talk to them. Because Sodom, as evil as they were, psychologically, they felt that they were holier than Avram Avinu. They said Avram Avinu didn't believe in Hashem. They believed in Hashem. What do you mean? If a poor person would come to Sodom, if somebody would give them food, they would kill that person. Why? They said, Hashem made this person poor. Where do you have a right to interfere? If you interfere, that means you don't believe that what God does is correct. So you deserve death. Because you are interfering with God's world. And the person, the poor person who was collecting money, they had two beds. One long, one short. If he was tall, 
they would put him in the short bed and cut off his legs so that he would fit in the bed. If he was short, they would stretch him, that all his bones would disconnect and he would die in the big bed. Now, you would say that's very mean. They said no. Being that the short guy is collecting money, that means he doesn't accept what God gave him, that God didn't give him any money. That means he doesn't accept that God made him short, so we'll make him tall. And the tall guy doesn't accept that God made him tall, so we'll make him short. Their evilness in Sodom was based on a religion. And Avram Avinu knew this. And Avram Avinu said, with these kind of people, Haran knew they were doing wrong. These people think they're doing right. I can't do anything for them. And therefore they had to be destroyed. Ninveh, where Yonah went, and Hashem made him go, they were people that the first thing the king said is, we have sinned to God. Those are people who can do tshuva. So therefore we have to destroy Amalek because Amalek is a nation that rationalizes what they do. So I want to tell you a little story about me. I'm not going to get into it as much as I got into it last night with my boys. But I want you to understand that I am no better than anybody else. So 13, 14, 15, 16 years ago before I stopped, I used to gamble. I was a gambler. And how could Rabbi Wallstein be a gambler? He was a Rebbe in Crown Heights Yeshiva. So how could you be a Rebbe and be a gambler? So, the reason that the Gemara says that a person is not allowed to gamble, there are two reasons. One, you're destroying the world because if everyone in the world would gamble, there'd be no carpenters, there'd be no farmers, right? There would be no one that builds houses because everybody would be sitting all day exchanging money. So if everyone in the world would gamble, there'd be no world. So you're destroying the world when you gamble. The second reason the Gemara says is because you're stealing. Because the person who's losing doesn't really want to lose. Now, many guys will tell you that when I play cards, it's my friends and I don't mind if I lose. So last night I asked the guys. I said, in that case, if I was to come play cards with you, and I would start off in the game of poker with the best hand in poker, a royal flush. Every game, that's how I start. Which means that nobody could beat me. You were going to lose every single hand. Would you play me? Of course not. So to that means that when you sit down, you're not willing to lose every single hand. Well, that means if you do, I took money away from you that you didn't want to lose. Because if you're willing to lose every hand, then we don't need to gamble. Just give me the money. So nobody, even if it's their friends, wants to lose money up front. Once they lose the money, they say, oh, I don't really care. So the Gemara says, one penny that you take from another human being is called Geneva. And therefore, you're a Ganef. If you're a Ganef, you can't be a witness. And it's not a good thing. I learned that Gemara. So how did Rabbi Wallstein gamble? Because I learned that Gemara. So I said like this. The Gemara is talking about when a person gambles for a living. If everyone in the world would gamble for a living... And nobody would pick fruits or plant fruits, then there would be no world. But if you have a farm, and you have a hundred workers, and on the side you gamble, that's not what the Gemara is talking about. Now, I have a plastic bag business. So I said, it's not a problem. I got hundreds of people in China working in the factory. I got salesmen. So I'm not gambling for a living. I'm gambling. It's a hobby or an addiction, whatever you want to call it. But I'm not destroying the world. I have workers. So that reason the Gemara goes out the door. The second reason that you're stealing, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to play Hanukkah anymore with my friends. Kvitluch, no more. Because I'm stealing from them. They're Jews. But if I go to Atlantic City, and the, the company is public, and it's owned by Goyim, and it's owned by New Jersey, who says, come play. So I'm not stealing from anybody. So therefore, both reasons of the Gemara went out the door. So I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Baruch Hashem. But I still felt a little guilty. So there's a shul in Atlantic City called Congregation Rodev Shalom. And when I came to that shul, I said, Hey, you guys have a shas, gemaras? They go, no. I said, you have Mishnah Brewers? No. You have Mishnahis? No. So the next time I came down to Atlantic City, I went to uh, Eichler's, a big tzaddik that I was, and I bought all this farim for the shul in AC. 
And I felt really good about myself. Now let me get to the point of the story. So I was a very big gambler. And it was rationalized. In fact, there were parents from Crown Heights Yeshiva, that kids in my class, that on Christmas, when I used to go down on Christmas and New Year's, that they were in the casinos that I were and saw me playing. And we had no problem with it. Rabbi plays. He doesn't steal. He wears his yarmulke. He plays cards, you know. Nobody had a problem with it. So nobody had a problem with it. So I didn't have a problem with it. Any steal from anybody it was my business, it was my money. One night, I had a crazy, unbelievable night. I was a very big player. Crazy, unbelievable night. And because I wanted to make a Kiddush Hashem, I always tip. You win a hand, you tip. I always tip big, no matter where I go. I go to the airport, I always want the guy to say, you know, Jews, do, they're not stingy. So I go to the airport, I give the guy $10 instead of 2 I, you know, there's a saying out there, they think that we're stingy. So I specifically make sure when I go to a restaurant, I tip not the 15%, but the 20%. The Jews are not cheap. So when I played cards, and if you win, you tip the dealer. Anyway, you tip the dealer, you tip the dealer, you tip the dealer. Four o'clock in the morning is the end of the shift. Now, the way it works in a casino is that all the workers, and they're, they're, they're minimum wage workers. The way they make their money is they pull all the tips of all the tables at the end, they divide it, and everybody gets a piece of it. That's how they make their living. It's, it's pennies. It's not a lot. People don't tip a lot. Let me just tell you that in that shift, I'm not going to give you, the, I'm, I'm going to give you the low number. Okay, the low number. I tipped over $80,000. Over $80,000 was the tip that I had left on the table from that shift. And you can imagine that if I tipped them 80, and that was just a part of what, of what I won that night. The number was astronomical. The Sutton knew exactly what he was doing. He was gonna, he knew that there's gonna be an Ornava, and on a Terrace Nava, and a Benot Chaya, and a Crown Heights Yeshiva. So if Rabbi Wallace would continue gambling, all those things would never happen. Because there's no way that I could have done what I did gambling. Nobody in this room would, would listen to a share from a gambler. So he was gonna make sure that I was doing really well. And $80,000 is not the real number. The real number is more than that. Now you have to understand that this shift of all these people, these non-Jewish people, at the end of the shift they tell them the number and they heard there is, there is a guy in the casino that just tipped the shift. It was over $100,000. They went nuts because now they're going to go home and I made their week and their life. So, at 4 o'clock in the morning, at the change of the shift, Rabbi Wallerstein, sitting in a casino, with his yarmulke on, just made a bracha on a glass of Diet Coke. And the funny part was, the two of the dealers said, Amen. <laughs> and I was like, what yeshiva you guys go to? They lined up the whole shift. 120 plus people lined up at my table. And one by one, they walked by. Thank you, Mr. Wallerstein. You're amazing. Thank you, Mr. Wallerstein. You're special. I sat there and I thought I was God. They just lined up and every single one of them were mamish, like bowing down. like Because to them, the money that they divided was unheard of. And when it was over and they left and I continued playing, Straight little chakras, for seeking. I was so proud of myself, and I was so excited. I said, Hashem, did anyone ever make a kiss Hashem like this? Did anyone ever make a kiss Hashem where 120 non-Jews walked out and said, "Wow, look at this Jewish guy." He tipped us so much money. I was so happy with myself. I was such a tzaddik. Okay. And I would have never, ever stopped gambling. Because no matter what anybody told me, I rationalized. I was doing no Avera in the Torah. I was not stealing anybody's money. My wife knew about it. I wasn't sneaking behind anyone's back. So what was I doing wrong? Just the opposite. They called me Gentleman Steve. 
because I was known never to drink alcohol, never to curse, to tip well. Everybody wanted me at their table. I was a walking girl, a walking Kiddush Hashem. <laughs> Until one day, in Muncie, the way God runs the world, and I thank Him every day for this. I missed my regular minion Friday night, and I went next door to my house, was a minion, Rabbi Aderetz Shul, next door, 23 Locust Hollow Drive. And I came to David Mincha Friday night, but they didn't go straight from Mincha to Myrib. They had a break, which most shuls don't have. And during that break, I said, okay, let me learn something. I'll never forget it. It was a Svarim, a, a, a Svarim bookcase, and I just looked for something interesting, and I saw a book, a Hebrew book, said Kavayasha. Never heard of it, never read it before. I pulled out the Kavayasha. And I opened it up, just like you'd open up a book. And I looked inside, and this is what it said. It's like Hashem telling me a telegram. It's a very Kabbalistic book. I talk, I talk from the Kavayasha. It's translated actually into English. I was a little bit involved in it. And this is what it said. When God created the world, He created good and evil. And He said that evil will have the same power as good, otherwise the competition is not fair, right? We all have the chira, choice, but if one side has better things to give us, it's not a choice. So evil and good have exactly the same things to give. But God didn't give evil the key to money. So evil came to God and said, you have money to reward the good people, you're not giving me money to reward the bad people. And Hashem said to the Satan, you have as much money as I do. You can give as much money to the bad as I can give to the good. Otherwise, it's not an equal fight. Says the Kavayasha. Why people make money when they're Mechal Shabbos. You see stores that are open on Shabbos, Jewish people. They make so much money, so much money, so much money. Where does that money come from? Does it come from God? Does God give people who don't keep Shabbos money? No. The drug lords in Colombia have billions of dollars. Does God give drug dealers money? No. Do professions that are not moral in the world that make so much money, does that money come from God? No. So people who steal, does that money come from God? No. Says the Kavayosha, that money comes from the dark side. That money comes from the Satan. And anyone who makes that money, that money is what feeds them. Because it's dark side money. So whatever you do, if you buy a chumash, and you learn in that chumash, whatever you learn from that chumash goes to them. You build a shul, all the prayers go to them. Whatever you use dirty money for, that power goes to them. And then he says, those who gamble, those who race doves, which is a gambling, who throw dice, that money comes from the satan. And when the person dies that takes money from the satan, the satan owns his soul because the satan was the one that nourished him his whole life. And the satan takes that soul to the seventh level of hell where it, where it doesn't get out after 11 months. It's there forever. And the Lashon that the Kavayasha says, you took his money, you partnered with him. I was like, oh my goodness. All that money that I made is from the dark side. So, that Friday night, I said, I will never, ever gamble again. Because it's no longer a gamble. If I lose when I play, I'm an idiot. If I win... I'm a partner with the Satan. So either way, I'm a loser. It blew away one thing. And that changed my life 13 years ago. I have never touched a card. I have never gone into a casino. I will not even land on a plane that lands in Vegas to get to L.A. I will have nothing near or to do with the Satan's house and his money. 
it changed my life. But what really changed? It blew, no, it blew away my rationalization. I was a big tzaddik. And all of a sudden, I became a big Russia. And the minute I realized what I'm doing is wrong, nobody wants to do something that's wrong. So another Vyavi who brought a fire into the, into the Mizbeach, Hashem didn't tell them to do it. So they thought they were doing a big Kiddush Hashem. Hashem said, no, you did a big Chil Hashem. Therefore, you're going to die. So when I was sitting there in Caesar's palace in, La- in Atlantic City, in all my glory and my pride, and saying to Hashem, look what I did for you. Look at the Kiddush Hashem, I did. They're all going home. I'm talking about the Jew who gave his money. Hashem said, Kiddush Hashem, you're a disgrace. You're in a casino, Rabbi. You have Talmidim and you're sitting in a casino, Rabbi. You're a disgrace. I don't want you making a Kiddush Hashem in a casino. Gambling? That's not a Kiddush Hashem. So the people, this one guy tells me, Wallstein, I find that when I smoke marijuana, I learn better. (laughs) Things are clearer in the Gemara. Maybe. I don't know. I never did it. Could be. Hashem doesn't tell you that you should smoke marijuana before you learn Gemara. And therefore, however good your brain is and however clear it is, that's what you need to use. Marijuana before you learn Gemara is an H. Zorah. It's a strange fire. To go to a club with your friend to make sure that no one hurts her, you're not a tzaddikista. You're not allowed to go into a club. Period. If your friend wants to go and you can't stop her, you're not making Kiddush Hashem sitting in the middle of the club watching all this garbage going on around you and saying, look how good a girl I am, God. God doesn't want you to be a good girl in a club. He wants to be a good girl outside of the club. And that brings me to Facebook and Internet and everything else. Yeah, I'm on the Internet! I'm there, right, yeah, right! I hate to say it. I would tell people not to watch Torah anytime. If you came to me and said, Rabbi Wallerstein, I am willing to go off the Internet for the rest of my life. But if I do that, I'll never see another one of your shiurim. I would say you should never, ever see another one of my shiurim. 100%. Don't be a Rebbitson on Facebook. That's me being a big Kiddush Hashem in a casino. Hashem doesn't want you there. Period. You don't belong there. It's not where we should be. So don't make a Kiddush Hashem. You know, the girls get angry in seminary. Don't shake there. I got this last time. I know I'm going to get it for this. On the subway, davening Shachris. Don't make no Kiddush Hashem on the subway. Look. Daven at home. Get up 15 minutes earlier if you really care about Hashem. Well, I'm on the train anyway, I'll daven. It's wrong. Don't be a big Rebbitzin on the train. Be a Rebbitzin in your house. It's the wrong place. It's an H. Zorah. It's not what Hashem asked you to do. Yes, you should say Tehillim on the train. And yes, you should look at Svarim on the train. But don't daven chakras on the train. Because that's telling Hashem, listen, I don't got 15 minutes extra but in the 15 minutes I'm on the train, I can't do anything anyway, I'll daven. Come on. Come on. Is it, is it worse than not davening? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's better to daven on the train than not davening, I think. I'm not sure. Because you become a whole thing, a whole discussion in the train. Look at her, look at this, look at the Jew. I don't know. I don't know if that's what Hashem wants. I don't know. I don't know. She's sitting and saying it to Hillam. I, listen, I cannot say you shan't, first of all, on a train, you better say Tehillim. But, but honestly, no, but on, honestly, I feel that Tefillah, right? Tefillah is a, is a, is a set aside time for you and Hashem. A set aside time for me and someone else is not while we happen to be on the train, I'll talk to you. You understand? Not, I happen to be on the train, so now with my mother, so I'll talk, talk to my mother. Showing my mother that I care about her is spending the 15 minutes with her when I, Make that time for her, not when I have nothing else to do. So tefillah, in my opinion, tefillah is a specified time, and it's a time between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
And I, I just think it's a little bit of an insult that that time is on a train for Tefillah. Saying to Hillel, you can say any time. So to, what? No, I'm just saying, any, when you're on the train during the day, I'm not talking about it at night. And if you see the wrong people on the train, you can say it at night too. But I'm talking very seriously. So, so there's a saying in Yiddish, I don't know, don't be a tzaddik in whatever, whatever the saying is. But that, that was me in the casino, and I, and, and I want you to know something. Sometimes on the way down in the limo, right? I would pop in to the, to the radio, to the, with a cassette player, the dafyaymi. I'm going down to Atlantic City, but I have two hours of dafyaymi. That rationalized what I was about to do. And that's what Amalek did. And that's what Sodom did. And that's what they did in the times of Noah. And that's what Nadav Avihu did. And that's what Shol HaMelech did. That we read in the Haftarah two weeks ago. Hashem told Shol to destroy. Listen to this. I'm, I'm going to end. It's, it's going to blow your mind. Hashem told Shol to destroy the Amaleki nation and all their animals. Kill every animal and every person in Amalek. Okay? Shaul doesn't do that. He allows the animals to stay alive. Hashem's very angry. Tell Shmuel, go to Shaul and tell him he's losing the kingdom. He didn't listen to me. Shmuel goes to Shaul says, you didn't listen to Hashem. He says, yes, I did. I killed out all the Amalekim. He says, yeah, but Hashem told you to kill the animals. So you know what Shaul answered? I know what Hashem said, but I did something better. I let them live. You know why? Now we're going to kill all the animals. But you know How? We're going to bring them up as sacrifices, as carbonot. Why should we just kill them and waste them? We're going to bring every animal up as a carbon. Isn't that great? Shmuel said, yeah, you know how great it is? You just lost the kingdom. You were supposed to be the kings forever. You just lost the kingdom, Mr. Shaul. Your children will die, and you will die, and your kingdom is erased off the face of the earth. Hold on, everybody. He, he was right what he said. Why just kill the animals? Let's bring them as kabarot. Hashem said, don't rationalize. I told you what to do. Now what happened? Because he didn't kill the animals, girls. Agog, who was the king of Amalek, was a sorcerer, changed himself into an animal, into a sheep. When they let the sheep live, there were thousands and thousands. He escaped. That night, he was with a maid. She had a child. And that's where Hitler and Amalek came from. The whole nation came from Agog, who changed himself into an animal. Had Shaul listened and killed all the animals, while Agog was hidden as an animal, he would have been shechted and killed. So Hashem, okay, I understand. Listen, it's beautiful. So Hashem, I understand that Shaul did something wrong, so kill him. But why did you take away all his children can't be kings? And Hashem said, the DNA of Amalek was rationalization. That Amalek said, I could kill you. So Shaul, you can't be a king and your children a king that's going to destroy Amalek. You have the same problem. You rationalize. You said, better to bring the animals. So you can't kill Amalek. You think the same way they do. And therefore, the kingdom has to come from someone else. Who did it come from? David Amalek. If you read Tehillim, everything that David Amalek ever did wrong, he writes in Tehillim, forgive me, I've sinned, I deserve what I got. David Amalek never rationalized. The one time that he rationalized, and he thought he rationalized, he realized eh, that what he did was wrong. So the kingdom comes from David Amalek, and we have, David Amalek has the tzivoy to kill the Philistim and to kill Amalek, because David Amalek's descendants don't rationalize. Whatever God says, that's what they do. They don't sit in the middle of the casino and make it Kiddush Hashem. That's rationalization. And that's the Satan's biggest koyach. That when you do something wrong, you think it's right. If you think it's right, you will never, ever do teshuva. Never. So if a person wants to change their life, the first thing you have to do is look in the mirror and say, I did something very wrong. Now I'm going to try to fix it. I'll learn about Lashon Hara. I'll ask a question. I'll make sure I never do it again. Whatever it is. But if you walk around saying, I just saved the family. What a tzaddik I am. Yudonski. But, and we'll end with this. At the end of the day, Hashem gives everyone a chance to do tshuva. 
So there's a crazy Rav Chaim Vital, which I have in front of me. And Rav Chaim Vital says the following. We don't have time for me to read it inside. I read it inside yesterday. If you want to hear it, you can listen to the voice here. Rav Chaim Vital says the following. Nadav, we know that Pinchas ben Allah ben Aaron HaKohen, Pinchas, who killed Zimri ben Zimri, who also rationalized, who killed Zimri, so the whole Shevet Shimon wanted to kill Pinchas for what he did. So it says he got so scared that his soul left him. And a new soul came in. Says Rav Chaim Vital Sefer Gugulim, whose soul came into him? Nadav the Avihu's soul. Which didn't rest because they died in the Chil Hashem and they needed a Tikkun. They needed to get fixed. So it didn't, their souls didn't rest. Now, the question is, how do two souls go into one person? So we learn from here that a person who's not married is considered half a soul. Since Nadav wasn't married and Aviyah wasn't married, together they were only one soul. So they became Pinchas ben Allah ben Aaron HaKohen. Who was Pinchas? Anyone here know? Pinchas Zeh Eliyahu. Pinchas HaKohen became Eliyahu Hanavi HaKohen. Now listen to what happened. The famous story in Malachim. If you want to look it up, I think it's Malachim, 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 I think it's Malachim, Chirches. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you in a moment. But, Labriyut. It's in Malachim Aleph, Pergutes, Pasigimel. Listen to what happened. This is amazing. Amazing how Hashem, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in our Torah, just listen to how this, how this took place. So, Elio Navi, lived in the time of a very bad king named Achav. And Achav had a lot of followers, and he had 200 or 450 Nevi'e Habal, false prophets that followed an Avoid Zerah called the Baal. And the only one that believed in Hashem, that followed Hashem, was Elio Novi himself. So, the Jews were, were being very funny, because what were they doing? They were serving both. They were, ser- they were serving Baal, and they were serving Baal, and they were serving Hashem. So finally, he goes and he says, Elio uh, says, "Okay, let's let's find out once and for all who's really God, Baal or Hashem." Now listen to what he says. This is very important. But Yomer, Ad Mosai Atem Poischim Al he says to the Jews of Yonavi, until when are you going to open both pages? If God is the real God, follow him. And if, if Baal is the real God, follow him. One second, you're Yonavi. You know what he was telling to the Jews? Listen. Either you believe in God, or you believe in Avodah You can't believe in both. You can't go to shul in the morning and bow down to an idol in the afternoon. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? In Kirov, the first thing we learn is never talk to someone out of at least the good what you're doing. He should have said to them, listen, I'm glad you go to shul, but in the afternoon, don't serve a void desert. No. Elio and Novi said, pick one. Either be solid avoid desert or solid Hashem. That, that doesn't make sense. But Elio Novi was coming from the place to try to correct justification and rationalization. So if you dive in the morning to Hashem, then you can go in the afternoon to Baal. Because I'm doing the right thing in the morning, I can do the wrong thing in the afternoon. Say, oh, no, 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 I know all about this. I come from Nadav Avihu. That's who I am. Stop rationalizing. Pick one or the other. So the Jew said, how do we pick? So Elio Novi said, okay, this is what we're going to do. The Neviah Habal, you're going to build a Mizbeach, and on that Mizbeach, you're going to put a cow. On wood, you're going to put wood and you're going to put a cow on it. I'm going to build a Mizbeach, and I'm going to put wood in a cow. If Baal is the real God, he'll send the fire from heaven to burn up the cow. If my God is the real God, Hashem, he'll send the fire. You guys go first. So all 450 Nevi'ah Baal start screaming to Baal and Shemayim, send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. What did they do? So what they did is they took a man and they put him underneath. It was a hollow mezbeach with a fire. And they said, when we scream fire from heaven, you stick the fire and all the people will think the fire came from heaven. And that way we're going to win. They were cheating. They knew that there was no real Baal. There was no real Avodah Zarah. But, says the Medrash, Hashem sent a Nachash underneath the Mizbeach, which bit the guy that was in the Mizbeach. He died. So they were screaming all day, light the fire, and the guy couldn't light the fire. 
So Eliyahu Navi made fun of them. I have to tell you, it's late. So he made fun of them. He said, you're not screaming loud enough. You're, he's still sleeping. The Abelidah Zohar is still sleeping. They yelled out. So it said they yelled so loud there was blood coming out of their eyes. Finally, nothing happened. So Eliyahu Navi told all the Jews, okay, come to my Mizbeach. And they all came to his Mizbeach. And he, he built it with 12 stones for the 12 Shvatim. And he put wood on it. And then he put the cow on it. And then he took three huge barrels of water and poured it all over the Mizbeach. So there's no way that a fire can light up this Mizbeach. He turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, if you are there, and if you hear the Tfilos, please send the fire. A fire came down from heaven and turned the whole Mizbeach into dust. There was nothing left. It burnt the cow, the wood, the stones, finished. And everybody said, now we see that Hashem is real and Baal is not. And they followed Eliyahu Navi. Says Rav Chaim Vital, that right after that moment, his neshama, the neshama of, of Nadav and Aviyu, left. It left. Malachim Aleph Yutes Gimel. As it says in Pasi Gimel, Bayar, he saw what happened, that the Jews repented. Bayakam, El Yenavi got up. Bayelech El Nafsho. And he went to his soul. Never ever did you see those words before. He went to his soul. And the answer is, Eliyahu Navi was now went to his own soul. He no longer shared the soul of Nadabaviyu because they fixed what they did wrong. What did they do wrong, everybody? When there was no fire, they went and brought a fire to make, and it was the biggest chil Hashem. So how do you fix that? That when there's no fire... You bring a fire from Hashem in Shemayim, which was, should have been done the first time by the Mishkan. They should have waited until Hashem sent the fire down to Mizbeach HaTayres. So this time Eliyahu Navi fixed it, and he made sure a fire came down, not from him, but from Shemayim, and made a Kiddush Hashem. And that Kiddush Hashem fixed the Chil Hashem, and then Nadavaviyah were free, and they went back to Shemayim. And that's what it says, Vayelech El Nafshai. He came back to his soul, and it says, Vayered, he went down, because he no longer was on that level of having these two holy, holy souls of Nadavaviyu. So in the end, so many generations later, Nadavaviyu got a chance to do a Kiddush Hashem. So last night I was really very detailed in my whole story to the boys of my gambling and everything that I went through. And at the end of this year, I turned to Jake, who takes care of all this, and I said, don't put it up. I don't, I don't want everyone on Torah at any time to know what I was like. And I don't know, want the radio station tomorrow morning, 97.5, that everyone should know what I was like. And it's a share for you guys, and let's just erase the Torah anytime tape and erase the Kalashan tape. And tomorrow night when I talk to the girls, I'm not going to talk about my, my gambling. And um, I think a lot of people who respect me may lose a little respect. They won't look at me the same way. Let's just, you know, it's for the guys, let's just erase it. And I went home last night at 2 o'clock, as I always do, Tuesday night. And I was laying in my bed, and I said, you need a tikkun for what you did. You need to fix it, just like Pinchas and Elio and Navi. You need to talk about it. And you need to tell everyone that even a Rabbi Wallerstein can rationalize gambling at 4 o'clock in the morning in a casino with waitresses and drunks and what a casino stands for. And he could sit there and say, Shev, I'm a tzaddik! And then maybe someone out there will learn a lesson. That when you don't do what Hashem tells you, and even if you rationalize it, you're not a tzaddik. You're a chayav misa. You're an ish zara. You're doing the wrong thing. So stop rationalizing. Stop smoking pot. So you can learn Gemara. That's rationalization. Interesting thought. They wanted to legalize marijuana in America. It's legalized in certain towns. Modesto, I think, in California. They want to legalize it in America. So does a big machlekes. Some people say if you legalize it, there'll be less of it. Because if it's illegal, you know, part of the shtick is that it's illegal. And I realized after I prepared this year, that the worst thing that could ever happen in America would be to legalize marijuana. Why? Because the rationalization would be that if I'm not breaking the law, why should I ever stop? 
Right now, people get off it because it's breaking the law. But if you take that away, then the rationalization is, I'm not doing anything wrong. If the speed limit's 55 and you're doing 65, you don't feel like you're doing it, you feel like you're doing something wrong. But if the speed limit's 65 and you're doing 65, you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong. But one second, I don't understand. If 65 is wrong, it's wrong. And if it's not wrong, it isn't wrong. No. If the speed limit's 55 and you're doing 65, it's wrong. So they made it wrong by making the speed limit 55. But if the speed limit's 65 and doing 65, it's nothing wrong with it. Because they made the speed limit 65. So if they legalize something that's wrong, then you rationalize that it's okay, you will never, ever change. Okay, I'm going out on a limb now. Big time. Must be the sitting position (laughs) that I'm so brave. So that's the real problem in the world today. When I was growing up, being gay was a very wrong thing. And therefore, everyone had to hide. And when it's wrong, it's very hard to rationalize that it's okay. So many people who may have gone that way didn't because at the end of the day, they knew that this is something that was wrong. What the Satan is trying to do in the world today is take away that and to rationalize that a person has a right to choose whatever they want. That's the rationalization. I'm a human and therefore I could do whatever I want. And once it becomes legal, there's no way to stop it. And there's no reason no one's going to stop it. So what the world is trying to do today, what the Satan is trying to do, he's trying to rationalize all these behaviors, these devious behaviors. Hashem said it's a te'eva. It's disgusting. And 200 years ago, it was disgusting. And nobody would write about it. Today, it's not disgusting anymore. Today, it's the other way. It's the rabbi that gets up and speaks against it. That's disgusting. So we, as Jews, in every aspect of life, have to learn that the law that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrote in his Torah has no room for rationalization. Being a cannibal and eating humans makes more sense than what we do. When they kill someone, he's lunch. He's nutrients. When we bomb for power, we kill hundreds of thousands of people and we don't even eat them. So the cannibal has rationalization for what he does. I am better than you. I eat like an animal eats. You just kill and then you you don't even eat them. So you can rationalize cannibalism. And they do. They say they're more sophisticated and civilized than we are. Girls, you can rationalize the worst sin in the world. How many times I have sat and listened to the worst sins that would make your skin crawl. And when I asked the person, how could you do this? The person would answer me, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah? Are you sick? It's what Hashem wants. I, I can't even get into pratim, details with you, because you, would, you, would be, you wouldn't sleep tonight. I have met and sat with the most devious, abusive, sick people, and listened to them, rationalize how not only they're not doing something wrong, but they're doing something right and they're going to go to heaven for it. That's the power of the Satan. So, everybody, I want you to walk away from here tonight with one thing, and that's my bracha to you. Clarity. Don't fool yourself. Then you have a chance to grow. Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was silent. You know what his reward was, girls? For the first and only time ever in the Torah, Vayedaber Hashem el Aaron. Never in the Torah does it say Hashem spoke to Aaron alone. It says Vayedaber Hashem el Moshe Aaron. His reward for being quiet 
is that he heard Hashem directly. When you make a lot of noise, you can't hear Hashem. When you're quiet, he speaks to you. So when things happen in life that are hard, and you're having a hard time, if you're able to be quiet and to accept it, the reward for that is, Vayidav Hashem El Miriam, El Chani, El Sora, Hashem will speak to you. That's the reward for being quiet. May you all have only good things, and may you have this chus to hear, Vayidav Hashem El whoever it is. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.